That's a nice idea. Thanks. Look, if I buy some buns, can we call it quits? I really didn't mean for Oak to get her. How many buns? Um, five. Deal, help yourself. Stop. What, Mary? I need you to step away from the cake tin. What are you doing? I've just sampled one of the buns you sold me earlier. It's tainted. What's wrong with it? It is saltier than a sailor's sweat. Welcome to episode 121 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that has noticed that anytime Grace smells at Michael, you can tell that she's got a skill as soon as he turns his back on her. I'm Gavin. And I have a sore throat. Well, that isn't a good thing for a... No. ...to start off a podcast <laughs> no. with. No. Makes a little scratchy as well. I don't know what's... I kind of felt like up. I was hit by a Mack truck like halfway through the week. It just got really, really stuffy and stuff. I think it's just allergies because the day before... Stelly's nose started running like a faucet. To the point where she was sticking tissues up her nose to keep it from running. Yeah, I've been she, there done that. Yep. Before she put her mask on. <laughs> <laughs> so. Bleh. And then, of course, I was yelling last night out of frustration at remote learning. But that's neither here nor there. I'm actually quite proud of myself that that's the first time I've, I've had a TL. <sighs> It was quite loud, and it was quite late. Mm. You were not asleep, though. No, I sat up here. I was like, do I go through and say the safe word? Because <laughs> I, was, I was close to it. I was yeah. close to saying the, you're, you're yelling a little bit too much here. Mm-hmm. Then I stopped and went downstairs and cried for half an hour. <laughs> so it's all good. Well... You want to start us again? <laughs> no. You want to start us again? No, it's fine. It's fine, because I'm sure lots of other people are going through this, so it's fine. It seemed to have the desired effect, though. Yes. Did it? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it seems like his his uh, his teachers are not being kind when it comes to docking him for turning things in late, which they're supposed to do because of his 504 program, but that's all right. It's fine. Everything is fine. It's all <laughs> fine. I am the dog drinking coffee in a burning room. Yes. It's fine. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Because one way or the other, you're going to die. <laughs> that's very that's very cheerful and very positive, my darling. Thank there you, you go. for that. You have that to look forward to. <laughs> you're hilarious. How you been otherwise? Yeah, all right. You know... Nobody else died this week that, you know, that whose whose death would greatly undermine a woman's right to choose and, and lots of other things in this country. So that's good. A vague political. <sighs> I was going to say outburst. It wasn't really an outburst. It was just a comment mm. for that podcast that we, that we don't that do. We still don't do. Yeah. Along with those other podcasts that we apparently still don't do. <laughs> We're so far behind on our podcasts at the moment. Uh, it's, 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 you get to a point where it's just very tough to motivate yourself to get much of anything done these mm. days. You're happy 
You just get through. You sure you don't want to start this again? <laughs> no, because again, I'm sure lots of other people. I can't think of anything really cheerful to say. I'm sorry. I, I don't feel well. And the world is ending. Right. Yay! Coronation Street. <laughs> and this, let's let's be honest. This was not the best week of Coronation Street. I think that Wednesday was maybe a, a new low. Certainly, certainly this year. So many things to rant about. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I have the throat capacity to do it. Sorry. And I know lots of other people have uh, reached out to us with their own rants and bants about about this week as well. So, Well, our, our Canadian librarian friend... Christy uh, sent a tweet saying, it's just as well you don't have a, a phone in section. <laughs> Actually, we do. We have that little, you can leave a message on Skype. Thing, right, yes. Of which no one has taken advantage of. And I, yeah, I still I still continue to push it. But anyway. Now <clears> that you've reminded people. She said, uh, the talk of the street at gmail.com on the Skype. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're lucky that you don't have a, a phone. Otherwise, I would be ranting my head off at you. Mm-hmm. And then I watched Wednesday and said, uh, <laughs> "In fact, she just she just tweeted." <laughs> I, I said, I just, yes, we are recording the episode right now, Christy. <laughs> Very astute of you. <laughs> I said, "Run away!" And right. she ranted on Twitter, and I, I might read that out later because I think she made an awful lot of good points. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. And she's ranting about something that's not my specific rant of the week. So, so that's good. Oh, you have a rant of the week now? Sometimes. I do this week. Because unfortunately, I was kind of proven right about something. About a prediction. About the way a story was going to go. Uh-huh. And that infuriates me because they had such an opportunity to to do something good for a marginalized group of people. And instead, they did the same old thing. But anyway. How but was your anyway. week, Gav? Well, I was quite busy this week. How was your week? Oh, you you had asking. a very you had a very important uh, meeting this, this was, week this for work. You had to do a very important presentation. So that really took a lot of your focus this week. I should be working on this report. Mm-hmm. The report. The report. Dum, dum, dum. It's kind of a dashboard, but it's really it's a, it's a, a series of the reports. dashboard. Dash, dash, dash. <laughs> so I'm in a team of three or four people. It kind of varies. We've been working, put hundreds of hours into this over the last few months, and we're ready to present it to the exec group, the um, the working group, and our boss is like, "Okay, who wants to present it?" And there's just silence. And so I said, well, I can speak to part of it. I could at least do this this part of it. There's maybe three parts of the mm-hmm. presentation. I can I can maybe do the middle bit, right? if you like. So somebody else and needs to do says, the beginning and the end. So, so who wants to do the other parts? Silence. Just silence. I said, or I could just do the whole thing, if you like. Yeah, all right. Uh, that and, sounds uh, good, Gav. And one of my colleagues said, I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> and one of them... One of my other colleagues said, "It's the accent thing. I think I think you, you I think you'll get away with it, with the accent because mm-hmm. we weren't presenting a really great message. Mm. It was a decent message, but it wasn't great. 
like the accent will soften up a little bit. And I'm like, this is the last time you're allowed to use this as an excuse. <laughs> so we did it and it went fine. And I got a few compliments about it. Oh, nice. But uh, I thought this meant I wouldn't have to do it again because we have to do it several times. Right. Over the coming weeks and months. No, you have to do it every single time. No, it sounds like it's me that's having to do it every single time. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not sure how fair that is. Oh, I thought of something that happy that happened this week. And we don't have time to talk about it. Oh, wait. <sighs> Shall we preamble with you? <laughs> yes, please. Tell us, tell no, us no, 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 it's I'm fine. Kidding. It's fine. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. I found $100. <laughs> That's what I should have. That's what I should have focused on. Focused on. I bought a whole bunch of old uh, Broadway records at auction and was listening to one. And when I took the record out, I noticed that there was an envelope stuck in the sleeve with the record. So I took it out and there was a hundred dollars there in like old bills in like 1980s bills, which aren't worth too much more than face value. So I don't. I kind of feel like it's not really worth getting them graded and, you know. They're in so, good condition, though. Yeah, they're in good condition. But still, you know, you hear things like that happening to people, and it never happened to me before. And, and now it has. And now I, I spent the rest of the day looking through my other records, but I didn't find any more money. It's like finding 20 bucks in your back pocket, your jeans that you forgot about, but five times. Right. And also, you didn't put it there. Right. Like somebody else put $20 in your back pocket, which would kind of be creepy. Well, even when it is you that puts it there, it feels like free money. Mm-hmm. But this is even more so. You spent it yet? No. No, it's still on the table. Oh, nice. I might steal that today then. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? I was thinking of giving it to you for the hot water heater anyway. Oh, you're going to pay for a twelfth of it? If you're going to pay for a twelfth of it, you might as well not bother. Oh, well... Again, it could be worth more than $100. Oh. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Pilot a new section here. Oh, no. Why Why don't you ever warn me of these things? <laughs> For the element of surprise. Ugh. I don't know if it's going to last long because it's not really <laughs> Corey related and everything else within the preamble is mostly Corey related. This is what made Gav cry last week. <laughs> Things that made me cry. Well, we already know it made me cry, so crack on. John Oliver answering journalist questions after winning his fifth Emmy in a row for the best variety talk show. That made me cry. Yeah. Yeah, congrats. And and actually, this this was going to be one of my happy things, is that Schitt's Creek got seven Emmys. I've never watched a single episode of it. It's really good, and you should. I loved it. And then, It's Canadian. Who doesn't love something Canadian? Nandy Bushel, the nine-year-old English girl who's just utterly awesome on the drums and has a rivalry with the actual Dave Grohl. Yeah. That made me cry as well. <laughs> Those are two things that made me cry this week. You're so cute. Give us some of that <laughs> Cory news. Oh. You're very, you're so sweet. You're so emotionally attached to the world sometimes. Oh, a fucking mess. <laughs> it's just nice to see some of your vulnerabilities coming out. Lovely. She is really good at the drums. Did you see her doing basket case? Yeah. Oh, fucking hell, she's so good at doing basket case. 
But she tweeted them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I think they just ignored her. Mm-hmm. But she tweeted Dave Grohl and he didn't. Right. And so now there's a huge thing where they're having drum offs and they're writing songs about each other. Right. And Dave Grohl just wrote this amazing song for this wee nine year old lassie. Uh-huh. And yeah, that just, that's oh. get, getting me talking about that. <laughs> Dave Grohl, arguably. Is it the nicest man in rock? It has to be, surely. The nicest man in rock. I'm trying to think of somebody who 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 would be nicer, and I I honestly can't think of anybody. She played the drums to Everlong, and challenged him to a drum off. Yeah, and he accepted. And he accepted, but then he said, "The last time I played drums on this was the day that we recorded it, which is <laughs> twenty years ago, whatever." That, that, that can't possibly be be true because they performed in concert. Yeah, he doesn't play the drums in concert. He plays a guitar in concert. It's Taylor Hawkins that plays the drums. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. So he plays it every night, Taylor Hawkins. Dave Grohl's never, never played it since he recorded it. Or so he says. And uh, I have no reason to disbelieve him. No, it's true. If you haven't seen Nandy Bishop, look her up on YouTube. She's she's delightful. She plays in her bare feet as well, which is even more remarkable. Those drum pedals are kind of harsh on the old cuticles. Is that a word? How would it be harsh on the cuticles? The cuticles are on the top of the toes. Well, it's not harsh on them at all then. It's harsh yeah. on the bottom of the feet. Yeah. I wanted harsh, to say harsh on the soles. Yes. There's a title for our debut album. Harsh on the soles. Anyway, Corey News. Adam Ricketts, a.k.a. Adam Ricketts. Nick 1.0. He's gotten himself in a bit of trouble with a drink driving charge. He has been off. He had been off to pick up a takeaway after a few drinks at the wine bar that he owns with wife Kate Fawcett. He's been given a 17-month ban and a 230-pound fine. Well done, Adam. I think he's so. Nick 2.0, actually. That was a wee boy that played Nick beforehand. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that Ben Price fan club is going to care about this. Actually, I don't think she will because it's not Ben Price. It's Adam Brickett. It's Nick, though. Eh. Adam Ricketts. Scary news from Jack P. Shepard's neighborhood. As the house next door was raided by a gang, his quick-thinking neighbor escaped to the roof, avoiding injury. Raided by what? A gang. A gang of people? A gang of five men who came into his neighbor's house and was like throwing shit around. And I don't know if they were intending to rob him or beat him up. The neighbor, not Jack P. Shepard. Right. But the jack, the neighbor climbed up on the roof, and the guys eventually went. And then they called the the cops. Dear God! Crazy world we live in. Ugh. Yeah. Finally, an update on Beverly Clark's condition. She still must use crutches or her husband to help her walk. Mm. And while she was in talks to do Strictly or I'm a Celebrity, those are on hold for now. And that's Corey News. She still needs crutches. It's a wee shame. Because mm-hmm. typically when you when you get your hips replaced, you're kind of the bionic woman afterwards. It's a slow recovery though. Right. It can be. You've basically had your bottom half detached. Yeah, but you have new titanium hips. So you're essentially a cyborg. My mom was oot in a boot quite quickly afterwards. It became like this Wonder Woman who runs a boot and drives tractors and Chase the small children around. That's your mental mother, though. So. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> Our mailbag. Christy, who I've mentioned already. Yes. Said, great episode, the moment of the week choice. I vote to rename boring moment of the week to the Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Peter and Carla, as there's Ross and Rachel off the street, why have I never thought of this? Also, if there is video evidence of Gav singing Britney Spears, I'm going to need to see this. And you posted it on the Twitter. You posted on the yeah. Twitter. You can only post a certain length of uh, video. I wanted to post the whole song, but. You know what you can do? You can put it on the YouTube and then post the oh, link to the YouTube. It doesn't take very long to post to the YouTube. Yeah, but who can be bothered? It's not how long it takes to do it. Who, who can be bothered? Yeah, okay. And John wrote in to say, I reckon the German doctor is really Werner Herzog, <laughs> which would be a turn up for the books. He needs to finance his new documentary film about uh, the Sentinelese tribe, which I think is the that tribe of uh, folk off the coast of India who have never been touched by civilization and kind of throw spears at helicopters and stuff like that and mm-hmm. killed some asshole American who wanted to go and convert, convert them, them all to Christianity. Yeah. Which Moan the tribe. I mean, it is sad that the guy is dead, but he shouldn't have gone. That was an asshole. Yeah, but he's also dead, so that is sad. Well, what did they expect to happen? And his intentions were good. What did they? Maybe. Mm. I don't know. I th- it's, mm. I think it's 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 genuine. You mm. don't want people to go to hell. So I think his intentions were good, but they were misplaced, and he shouldn't have done it because people told him not to do it, including the mission board. He was he was not approved to do it. He was an asshole. He got what he deserved. Ah, you are so harsh to dead people. Tell me the story about the squirrel. <laughs> and that's my Werner Herzog impersonation. I want to see the. I sound like I sound more like a Dracula than Werner Herzog. I want. Why am I saying I want? I don't know. I, I'm to not see sure the baby. That's 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 one of Werner Herzog's lines from um, the Mandalorian. Is I want to see the baby. Did you know that Werner Herzog is in the Mandalorian? I don't. Yeah, that still isn't going to make you watch it, though, is it? <laughs> no fucking way am I watching that. Baby Yoda. You and I imagine one-off correspondent Susan wrote in with an email that had a title, Kevin Satie. Hi, could you please tell me where I can buy the Satie in Kevin's house on Coronation Street? Thank you for your help. <laughs> what does Kevin Satie even look like? I, I could, couldn't picture it if you asked me to, which I think you're, you're doing. No, I, I would I think try... this is one of those instances where people get in touch with us thinking that we're the show when... We're not at the show. No. I was thinking that we have some kind of inside information at the show. Check your local charity either. shops. That's my recommendation. I, I advise her to write to the show. And and estate sales. Mm-hmm. And now, this. Oh. I was going to read Christie's. Never mind. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year, tonight, this morning, with me, John Oliver. Only not. Just enough time to quickly talk about her with the teeth. This was Evelyn talking about a presenter on this morning. I was Gavin and you were drinking coffee. It was one of our first first morning recordings. We discussed alternative names for a smear test. Oh, yeah, we talked about pap smears. 
and Pat Smear, the guitarist from right, who Free Fighters. Him, who which, named himself after Pap Smears. Mm-hmm. I thought Wipe sounded better. I accidentally deleted all my notes for one storyline. That was fun. <laughs> Gary finds Ryan's lackadaisical approach to debt repayment unacceptable. Adam finds Manchester's worst private investigator. It's Lenny. Yeah, who shows up again. Is he like the only private investigator anybody can hire on the street? It seems to be the private investigator section of Yellow Pages is <laughs> Lenny. <laughs> and that's it. So Asha manages to smuggle dodgy cream in her carry-on from her recent trip to India. Michael approaches James with his suspicions on James's sexuality and is disappointed to find out that, aside from Ed, everybody already knows. Max's sideline to get a one-way ticket to Barbados is revealed. An old photograph triggers Paul into remembering more about his relationship with Kel, and Billy would like some salad with his omelette. Our moment of the week was, well, we <laughs> came to an impasse for the first and only time, I think. I wanted it to be Max opening up to Craig. And then Craig just leaving. <laughs> Which is still hilarious. Yeah, we watched it again last night and it's still funny. And you wanted it to be Roy and Evelyn who were being amusing. So we went with both. Our boring moment of the week was Billy's omelette. Mm. That was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last week. Still funny. Yeah. Still funny. This morning. <clears throat> Max just <clears throat> opening it up and being so sad. And then Craig saying, oh, wait, I'm going to head out. I'll leave you to it. <laughs> Cheerio. He <laughs> was like, he was going through all the um, <laughs> all the, the trials and tribulations of his mother dying and his father dying and having to live with Shona and Shona's kid stabbing his mum. How do you call that normal? How's that normal? He said with such passion. And Craig just kind of slapped the top of his leg, stood up and said, right, I'll leave you to it. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning is our last storyline. So the second storyline is... <clears throat> this is all of our stuff. Ugh. On Monday, Emma is getting sponsored for her charity event. Fizz and Tyrone wind her up a bit about it, accusing her of letting other people pay for her to have an experience of a lifetime, like jumping out a plane or whatever. But it's not, says Emma. It's a sponsored silence in the Rovers. So Fizz happily agrees to sponsor Emma. Then Tracy gets a call from Emma, who's already managed to raise 500 quid. The doctor comes to tell Le- Nick and Leanne that all of her seizures are getting worse and they've had to up the medication. It'll be a couple of weeks before the German doctors get there and they're nowhere near raising the half million quid that they need. And it does seem here that the intention is to take Oliver back to Germany. That child is not going to survive. 30 seconds out of the hospital and he's seizing constantly. Right. I'm... Really? I, I I don't understand how these other characters aren't saying to Leanne, look, it's nice that this German doctor wants to help for half a million pounds. It's suspicious that he wants to help. For half a million pounds. Mm-hmm. However, Oliver's not going to be able to make the trip. Somebody... Even the doctors are like, well, we respect your desire to get some other guy in here. To, but the fact that she's successfully <clears throat> guilting people for money is just... Anyway, continue. I think the thing that we want to say that is kind of difficult to say is that if 
if Nick sells his shares in the factory and Steve sells at the building the streetcars or the yeah. building and Tracy sells the florist and three months time they're going to end up without Oliver anyway and none of those things right and no way to make money although he will still own the business of streetcars he's just selling the property and again you know we have the sneaky thing where the show's being very sneaky you know some flyer got stuck through Steve's door and there are other characters who mention the flyers in different storylines this week I know where do these flyers come from what are these flyers it's Ray Weinstein trying to buy up the street. Is it? Yeah. Did, did, do we find that out? Is that no. mentioned somewhere? No, but I know it because we've already seen him try to buy David's place. And we've seen his evil plot when Bethany looked at his computer. Let's remember. I don't know why he wants to buy the whole street. But he wants to buy the whole street. Is it Ray does... Weinstein working for EastEnders? <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't Kinda it? Kind of sounds like it. <clears throat> uh, I, is this really the most prime real estate in Manchester where you want to buy the whole place up? Is, is it near anything that anybody would want to stay at a big, massive hotel at? Is there oil underneath it? Maybe. Or maybe it's a hidden treasure of Sierra Madre <laughs> somewhere in Weatherfield. Ray's got a treasure map. <clears throat> So in the rovers, so Emma's about to start... Need, he doesn't need no stinking badges to get it either. Nope. He's about to start her sponsored silence, but not before we find out that Mary voluntarily washes Sean's smalls. There's so many things wrong with that arrangement, says Emma, which was my moment of that episode. <clears throat> and with a honk of an air horn, the 12-hour silence begins. He doesn't ask her to. She just does it. Kind of like your mum with my Wonder Woman undies. Let's not talk about that again. <laughs> <laughs> Leanne is packing a bag as she talks to the sedated Oliver through her boring, boring morning doing a wash. When Nick comes in, she wonders how they're going to get Oliver to Germany, and Nick floats the idea of selling his shares in the factory. Leanne is amazed. Nick wonders when she's going to get it through her thick skull that he would do anything for her and Oliver. But not for Simon. Everybody keeps forgetting about poor Simon. Including his mother and stepdad. Who? At the pub, Jenny is reminiscing about a time she got a tampon in a nightclub from a girl band member. No wonder he's cranky all the time. In comes Dev and Tracy is instantly on him to donate 50 quid to the silence. He pretends he's forgotten his wallet, but Tracy having none of it and chases him out of the pub. Right, because supposedly everybody still thinks that Dev is so rich Mm -hmm. when he's barely holding on. Right. At home, Nick is stalking Natasha's friends connect when Leanne comes in. She says that she can't let him sell those shares. He's worked so hard for it. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> then she talks about the reservation she had when they got back together again that he wouldn't understand that being a stepdad would mean that he wouldn't be her main priority sometimes he works so hard manipulating Peter into selling his shares <laughs> right. she shouldn't have worried because he'll always put Oliver first too and Nick kind of does a little bit more of that looking that he was doing mm. last week that he earned a moment of the week Right. so Anne is back at the hospital Jesus, the to and fro between home and hospital is that's quite remarkable. Well, where else are they going to go? The co-op. <laughs> Leanne is back at the hospital chatting with Steve about Nick selling the factory. And Steve wonders if he can do the same with streetcars and if he can see if Tracy can sell 
the florist. I don't be right, says Leanne. But Steve insists that Tracy's heart is breaking for Oliver too, so shut your pie hole, Leanne. What what about Tim's share in streetcars? Doesn't Tim get a say in whether or not they sell? Well, I think he's going to sell his part of it. No, he's he's going to sell it to the people in the flyer. Is is what he says. Oh. He's got this flyer stuck through. Why not? I only picked up the flyer once this week, and it was Tim when he flashed it at Abby, which I'll mention later. Yes, but not like that. Not like that. Well, maybe like that. Yeah. Not in the show, though. They do no. that at home, in the St- privacy of their own home. I thought it was interesting, just skipping way ahead, that the two of them went walking side by side. They were walking one in front of the other as well when they lived with each other. Right. Anyway. Anyway. Steve meets Tracy in the pub and explains about Nick's generosity and has said that they'll do the same with the flat and the cab office. And he's already spoken to a company that'll take both of them off their hands within the month. That's right. the flat company. Yes. He wonders if she'd do the same with the florist or if they could remortgage. Tracy isn't sure, but says that she'll think about it. She's also quite upset that he did that he called this company without speaking to her first. And she's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. He should have done that instead of selling her house out from under her. Yeah, because she lives there. Yeah, she lives there. And so does Liz. And she says, oh, what about your right. mum? Yeah, what about you? Oh, oh she's well, she's, fine. she's Spain. in Spain. No. Nice one, Steve. I, I get that they love Oliver, but this is... Nick has inadvertently started a kind of chain reaction of sadly pointless activity. Right. Read about the selling of, of real estate who and loves, property. Who loves Oliver the most? Who could sell the most for See, Oliver? See, it's, it's kind of becoming a competition then. Yeah. And that's... That's sad. Really not very nice. Yeah. Later, Tracy is talking to Silent Emma about her concerns that all the fundraising is distracting from the main point, but then she wonders if she'd think twice if it was Amy. Emma breaks the silence to say it's obvious that Tracy loves Oliver, and if she has any concerns, they would be legitimate, which pleases Tracy, who then gets led into Jenny for wanting Emma to stop her silence. <clears throat> That's as far as we get with that. This, yeah, this week. Jenny is quite weird about this whole thing. She's she's quite upset about this whole silence thing. I thought that as well as it was happening, but I I kind of came to the conclusion that she's been kind of nasty and weird about this, just so Tracy can repay Emma at the end of it. Yeah, but... That's the one thing it seemed to serve. She was nasty and weird about it last week, too. Like, she didn't want her to do it in the pub. You know, she dissuaded her from the dance thing because it would have, you know, for 24 hours, because the pub's not open for 24 hours. Jenny's been weird about this whole thing with Oliver. Yeah. Maybe because her child is also dead. Or maybe she had plans to steal Oliver and now there's no real point. So, I kind of just want them to get this. You just want that child to die. Yes. (laughs) Which is not usually a thought that I um, I have all that often. they, They do seem to be stringing this along kind of ridiculously. And I get that they're that they're trying to shine a light on this disease that children get it's 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 now jumped into kind of ridiculous and unrealistic though 
I don't know. If... I, I, I get that, you know, that families will do whatever they can and stuff, but most families don't have three parents that own their own businesses that will sell shares of that business just to, you know, maybe get treatment for these for this child. I mean, it, they should probably wait on selling up their their means of employ until the doctor comes and says, yes, I can help him or no, I can't. Because if the doctor comes and says, well, no, I can't help him. Well, then they're out of luck and they also no longer own their own businesses. Right. You know, it's... With regards to the shining a light on this disease thing, I don't know if this is because of the the method in which we're now telling the story kind of in the midst of, of COVID. They're not really shining a light on this disease anymore. It's, no. It's not really about... It's not about the disease. It's not really about Oliver anymore. It's kind of in the periphery. Right. Slowly dying in the corner of something that you're not seeing. Right. And you're not really learning anything about it. You just, no. you just know it as a thing now. Yes. It's about the parents' reaction to it. Right. And again, I, I, I think it's realistic to say that parents will do absolutely whatever they can to help their child and may try to take them other places to get treatment. Because we have seen that in the news. That has happened with British children in the past. We've seen it. We know what happens. But the whole selling property and selling businesses in order to, you know, not very few families have that opportunity or that availability. And for not just one, but three parents to be expected to sell their businesses. I, I don't know. See, I thought that um, the ways that worked within Europe was all the kind of countries had an agreement with each other that you kind of, you, you refund each other mm-hmm. for the... The, the treatment that you give. Right. So being part of the NHS in the UK means that you get treatment abroad that you don't have to pay for that. Within within the EU. Mm-hmm. That's Brexit for you. Have fun, folks. Yeah. Our next storyline. See, that would be interesting. It would be interesting if they brought... I might be completely wrong about that. Yeah. I just thought I'd, I thought I'd read something somewhere that... It, of... it may be that that's true for treatment approved by the NHS but the NHS is not approving you know no stringing no this experimental German treatment poor child along when the the best thing for him is to pass on mm-hmm. because he is suffering the only reason why he's not suffering is because they've sedated him right let's talk about Weatherfield Psycho now uh, do we have to this was quite a bit of the week. Yeah, and this is my this is my rant of the week. Oh, well, everyone, buckle up, buckaroo. <laughs> <laughs> On Monday, Kirk is chasing down boring moment of the week. I mean, uh, Daniel giving him a hard time about Nikki. Ugh. Daniel insists that they're just mates, but even Kirk isn't buying it, saying it's bound to lead some, lead to something, and accusing Daniel of wanting to be Nikki's savior. 
He's no Richard Gere, and Nikki isn't exactly stepmom material for Bertie. And this gives Which is Daniel harsh. some pause. That's harsh. You don't know her. You do. She has a child of her own already. She's already somebody's mother. Mm-hmm. You know, her job does not mean that she's bad at parenting. And I, this is one of the many things that I hate ab- ab- about the storyline this week is this assumption that sex workers are awful people who can't be parents when so many of them are. Hmm. In the law office, Adam <sighs> says the only female friend he hasn't slept with is Mary. And he suspects it's, <laughs> that Daniel has been thinking about getting his and hole off of Nikki. Not for want of Mary trying. No. Adam advises he steers clear. Bring back Bethany, for God's sake. Nikki's bad news. And that was an interesting... It was an interesting thought that, you know, this relationship with a sex worker makes Bethany look good. So mm-hmm. just bring her back. Right. Which is something I think that we've floated in weeks previous. Mm. Outside, who does Daniel run into? Nikki, mm-hmm. she's just finished shagging some bloke who runs a sandwich factory and has turned up with some free samples if he hasn't had lunch, which he hasn't, so off they go to do that. Back at the flat, Daniel and Nikki are talking sandwiches. Nikki likes a bit of onion to stop the punters trying to kiss her, and Daniel looks awkward, and Nikki says that she says things like that to make what she does seem normal. Or to make her sound like Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman, because that was the big thing in Pretty Woman, is that she doesn't allow clients to kiss her. That's why she said that. That's why she said that thing to Kirk. She didn't dream of becoming a prostitute. This wasn't her life's ambition. She wanted to be a chef and work for her aunt and her B and B in Lytham St Anne's. Once she's paid off her debts, that's what she's going to do. And he wishes he could help. And she says that he already has because she started to dream again. She started to dream again, and they kind of look at each other that way. How has he made her start dreaming again? Is it because that her mind wanders when he's talking about his fucking son to her when she's wearing her cardigan and and I don't Britney know. Spears perfume? I don't know. You've, I, ma- you've made me start dreaming again. Oh, God. I just, I hate this so this much. This is awful. I hate awful, this so much. Awful, awful, awful. I hate this so much. I'm going to wait until the end to rant, so... Okay, I'll crack on then. Mm. So it would seem that Daniel and Nikki have gotten their hole off of each other. Daniel's already... Oh. <laughs> and it's such a weird, awkward way to insinuate that they've gotten their hole off of one another. We come back from commercial break, and Daniel is standing in the living room with his shirt unbuttoned. Mm-hmm. And then Nikki comes out not wearing any pants. Not wearing any... Like, Hunda pants? She's wearing hunter pants, but she's not wearing like... Long trousers. 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 In America, we call trousers pants. I think everybody knows that. If you didn't know. I think everybody knows that. If you didn't know. When I say pants, I mean trousers. And when you say hunda pants, you mean hunda pants. Daniel is already looking like he regrets it. Well, she is now obviously infatuated with him already and Why? wants to spend the evening with him. Why? And he can't because Beth is bringing Bertie around and she says, well, can't you... Can't you put this push it back a little bit? And he's like, No, I can't do that. Yeah, and yet he's the one who the past months has been asking her to put off clients, put off paying clients to spend time with him. Yep. And yet he acts like it's the worst thing in the world for her to ask for 
a little bit more time with him. Mm-hmm. Like, how dare you? I must have my son, who I never see. This is what I particularly hated about the storyline, <sighs> was the way that the story has gone so far, creepy as fuck as it has been. Yes. Is that Daniel has been 100% infatuated with her. Right. And she's been kind of telling him, mostly a GTF. Right. And now the kind of roles have reversed somehow because she started to dream again. Right. And because she finally allowed him to have sex with her. What what was the sex that bad, Daniel? Was it? Was sex bad? Did it make you feel bad? Mm. I mean, I know it's a woman. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So... She totally overreacts to Daniel spending time with his son and thinks that she's getting the brush off and is about to leave in a huff when he promises to take her to the place where her aunt's being be is, love them St. Anne's, and this seems to appease her. So already the roles are reversed and she's the one desperate for his attention. Ugh. Daniel sees Nicky off at the tram station and as soon as she's gone, Kirk is over wanting a word. Betters and bits about this and how about... Betters and bits about this and about how it's not right to have Bertie around Nicky. He tells a story about how Beth loves motorbikes, but even so, she wouldn't let Bertie near one, and this seems to touch a nerve. Kirk's use of metaphor is sparkling. Ugh. He's comparing a woman with a motor vehicle. A dangerous motor vehicle that a baby obviously can't drive with a woman who would not be performing her job in front of the child. What? is wrong with these people well it's kirk it's not just kirk though well, because beth, obviously apparently. beth is in bits and adam is acting like it's the worst thing in the world i when arguably it's a lot worse to have a lawyer as a parent why especially a seedy one hmm Beth writes says Daniel and Bertie shouldn't be around some sex worker. And of course, ah. he says this just as Nicky comes back out the tram station ah. for whatever reason. Ah. So it seemed that Daniel didn't notice this and went home blissfully unaware until Nicky turns up uh, for her phone that she's left behind because people leave phones apparently. Uh-huh. And she's obviously pissed at him and demands getting paid. That weren't no freebie and it's gone up 200 and she sends him to the ATM while she sits and fumes in the flat. And he does it. Right. He, he does it. He doesn't, he doesn't try to argue with her. He doesn't say, well, you, you didn't tell me up front. He comes back and pays her, and in the ensuing argument, it comes out that she overheard him earlier, and if he's going to treat her like a prostitute, he's going to fucking well pay her like one. Well, if Daniel's paying 200 the least that she can do is hear his explanation. And explains how Beth is overprotective of Bertie and she's family and Daniel needs Beth in his corner. You need a babysitter, Nicky rightly says. And Daniel insists it's not that, it is that. She asks if he's okay with her job and he says he wishes she worked in a shop but he can't tell her how to make a living. And he says that he's not ashamed of her. Right then, she says, let's go tell your dad what to do. And he's like, yeah, well, about that, see? She <laughs> says, at least Beth is honest but she calls him a hypocrite and a liar and she leaves and she and doesn't give him his money back. right. Doesn't give him his money back. No, of course not. On Wednesday, as usual, Daniel is leaving begging messages on Nicky's answer machine. Adam comes up with nappies while Daniel is up to no good in his laptop. Daniel confesses that he got his hole off of Nicky, but then got in an argument. He needs to sort it. Adam tells him to leave it well alone. So Daniel has booked Nicky through the agency, and she comes round fuming. What do you want, you creep? Dress up as your dead wife or meaningless sex? He doesn't think it was meaningless. She was hurt 
and she was hurt because she cares. He says that he's proud of her, but she doesn't buy it. He doesn't want everyone knowing, and he bets that she doesn't go around telling everyone what she does, so why would he? And Nicky sucks a thoughtful tooth. So because he booked her through the agency... She had to show she up. She had to show up. Yeah. Because otherwise, why would she show up? Right. That's the only... Yeah. He, that's why he booked her through the agency. Like maybe Which, phone up the agency and say, this guy's a creep and he's dangerous and I'm not going around. Right. Which does not always work. Yeah, she could have refused to do it. Well, and then she would have lost her job at the agency. She would have lost a steady income. Well, only you, you seem you seem to think that that women complaining actually gets anything done when it doesn't. Well, how are they going to find out? How are they going to find out what? Are they watching us go down to his house? He could phone and complain. Is he going to do that? He might. No, he's not. They probably have some sort of registry or something to make sure that that she goes. Explain this registry to me. I can't because I am not a sex worker, but I know... I put it in, to you that such a registry does not exist. I know that in my job, I'm I'm timed, I'm registered in like yeah, the you're things logged that in. I do. Well, perhaps there's a login where you log in when you get to there and you log out. Maybe they're checking her GPS. Which she could quite easily do. It's a job. It's a plot device is what She's it is. required to do it. It's a plot she device. can't complain and it's a little because bit she bullshit. would lose her job. And it's kind of bullshit. She's never been able to let her guard down with anyone before. He wants to try a, relation, try a relationship, but she doesn't think he could handle it, which of course he couldn't. No. He doesn't want her being with someone else. He doesn't have to be like this. Uh -huh. It doesn't have to be like this. She can live with him like with her mum and daughter. Yeah, and Daniel, whose only job is working for Adam part-time part -time. until Leanne's son dies. Crying, she tells him that she doesn't need saving and she leaves. Frantic, Daniel goes to see Adam looking for an advance in his wages. No <laughs> chance, says Adam, because he's still paying back from the last time that happened. Right. Then he wants a loan for two grand. Adam realises no this is for Nikki and tells Daniel he's getting in too deep. She's not his responsibility. Daniel disagrees and asks again for the loan. And Adam uh, automatically assumes that Nikki has put Daniel up to this when the opposite is true because of course prostitutes are bad and lie and try to steal your money <sighs> Adam tells him to get to fuck so he calls Nikki but she seems to be in some distress she doesn't know where she is so he tells her to get out of there pronto I thought that obviously hadn't occurred to her get a taxi to my place he says and then he runs down the street for some reason no idea why <laughs> Later, he's calling her again, but she turns up in a taxi, holding a towel all covered in red on her forehead. Daniel calls an ambulance, but Nikki doesn't want to get quizzed off the fuzz. And the taxi just books it out of there. <laughs> he tells her to <laughs> let her look after him. No, to let him look after her. If, there's, if a woman calls a taxi and she gets into the taxi and she's got a head wound. Yeah. Taxi driver's going to just take her to a residence and say, Right, I'm out of here. Cheerio. Bye. Then we have a rather weird scene where Daniel is in the hospital with Nikki's phone and the other woman in the waiting room is Nikki's mum trying to call Nikki's phone. So she realises that he's got her phone and thinks this is really suspicious. She demands to know who Daniel is and wants Nikki's phone back. He says he's a friend. 
Friend or a punter, and it seems that Mummy isn't happy about Nicky being back in the game. She promised she was done with it and was working nights at a petrol station. Nicky's mother opens up way too much about Nicky's profession to a man she's never met before. Mm. It's not easy bringing up Maisie on her own. She's doing what she needs to do to put food on the table, says Nicky's mum. And then she takes a puff on her inhaler be- yep. to remind us that she's sick. Did you also notice her uh, uh, cigarette-stained fingers? That was a unusual detail that you don't really see very often. Mm. Like her fingers were yellow from... Right. So she's smoking cigarettes and... And has a lung disease. Puff, puffing away on her yeah. puffer. Oof. Daniel goes in to see Nikki and tells her that uh, that her mum knows that she's back in the game, but the police haven't been sniffing around, so she's okay on that front. Nikki needs a story. Daniel asked what happened. She says it was a new client and she didn't want to go through with it because she was thinking about... Oh, she was thinking about Daniel. <coughs> and so she lost it and... And he beat her up. None of this is believable. No, it's it's that well. Her refusing a client and a client beating her up—that's believable. Her refusing a client because she slept with Daniel once—not believable. He promises to make it up to her. Tells her that she deserves better. Nikki realizes this means loads more stories about Bertie's interests and trash, and starts staring at the ceiling and sighs. And it gets weirder when Daniel goes to the law office and blames Adam for Nicky winding up in hospital. If he'd lent the money, none of this would have happened. Actually, it absolutely would have happened because she had already left your flat to go see this client while you were asking Adam for money. So it would have happened one way or the other. (laughs) This was a kind of, you're watching it thinking, is this... Is this really happening? Is this Is this really th- supposed to be one of the smartest people who lives on the street? Yeah, so if he'd lent the money, none of this would have happened. Adam could give a fuck one way or the other and mocks Daniel for trying to save the tart. Then, to make the scene even worse, Tim's dad shows up wanting a word. And this didn't make any sense either. No. <laughs> he wants to know what's going on with Yasmin's case. The police and the CPS aren't telling him anything. Adam can barely disguise his contempt. He can't help Tim's dad. Tim's dad goes on to moan about how he's injured party and the stress is keeping him awake. He's a good guy in all this. Then Daniel brings up how Tim's dad sleeps with sex workers and how he has the gall to play the victim. Affronted, Tim's dad leaves and an angry Adam tells Daniel to lock up for him. So later, Tim's dad barges into the law office looking for a white envelope. He must have left it at the bank, he says, because he can't find it. Then he gets stuck into Daniel demanding an apology for the slander earlier. Daniel points out that it's only slander if it's untrue and then informs Tim's dad that none of the sex workers he's slept with do it because they like him. They see him as a grubby little bank machine. And furious, Tim's dad storms out again and we discover that, surprise, surprise, Daniel has Tim's dad's white envelope and it's chock full of cash. Mm -hmm. All that happened. Saying a sex worker only sees clients as grubby bank machines, even if it's probably true in the case of, of Tim's dad, is like saying that a social worker or a doctor sees their clients only as grubby cash machines. It's a job. They're doing a job. A job that is kind of needed in some ways that brings comfort and if they're doing it of their own free will it's a job you said that 
It's a job. And uh, Is that a job? The show had an opportunity here to do some to do important work to shine a light on sex workers and help to legitimize their work and change people's views. I don't think it wanted to do that. I don't think it wanted to, but it had the opportunity to do that. And I was hoping that it would do that, that it would do that even just a little bit, because especially in the beginning, they made Nikki very, very human and not a cliche. You know, she talks about her mom. She talks about her daughter. She's very professional in what she does. She's a human being. They don't they don't dress her up to be a cliche prostitute. She's a human being. And every week and every day she she slips more and more into this awful cliche from the I don't kiss clients to all of this. You know, and I said, I said last week, I said what I'm afraid is going to happen is that she's going to fall in love with him and then he's going to try to get her to change his job because he can't handle it that she has sex with men as yes. her job. Yes. And that's exactly what happened. Yes. And everybody on the street is treating her, a woman they don't know and have not met. Not one of these people, except for Kirk, has actually met Nikki and everybody is treating everybody is like, well, no, you can't you can't have her around your child because what is a sex worker going to do to your child that's going to be so horrible? You know, is she going to sit your child down and explain exactly what she does for a living? Is she going to do her job in front of the child? Is she going to give the child some sort of disease just by being in the room with him? None of these things are going to happen. The show had an opportunity to at least explain that these things aren't true. And instead, they have Daniel saying, yeah, you're right. She, he prob- she probably shouldn't be around children. When the show has already given her a child of her own. What does that mean? Does that mean that somebody should take Maisie away from her? No, of course not. But because Daniel's not a sex worker, his child is more precious than... Nikki's child, apparently. I don't know. It's just just like Christy's complaint with the whole Carla and Peter thing. There was an opportunity to maybe do a little good in the world. And instead, you know, it was missed. It became this whole savior story. And it became this whole weird fixation the show seems to have with sexuality and and women's sexuality and it's just it, it it infuriates me it really does was that the rant that you're going to have at the end of this pretty much because we've still got Friday to go through i know i know but it just that 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 whole thing that daniel says to tim's dad just really really pissed me off because i know that he said it to hurt tim's dad's feelings but the words that these characters speak, a real person wrote those words and believes those words. 
Well, the person who wrote those words believes that the character who said them would say those words. I don't think they necessarily have to believe them. You've never written anything that you don't believe? Not really. Of course you have. Like what? Well, in your novel, you have a, a you have a baddie, right? Yeah. So your baddie says things. You believe what your baddie says? A... Those are your beliefs? Well, no. Those well, are the beliefs of the baddie. But Daniel's not a baddie. It doesn't matter. Well, he's not a goodie either. But anyway, continue. No, I was going to say, uh, uh, I think the show is guilty of treating uh, prostitution as uh, taboo still. And for prostitute, you might as well read Drug Addict. Yeah. And even... In, and even drug addicts get pushed into really cliched, awful storylines, as we will talk about in a little bit. Yeah, and they have to become reformed. Right. And then they have to, like, every time something bad happens, they have to slide mm-hmm. back and forth. So I'm They're doing the electric slide all over the place. Tim's attacked is back at the law office looking for his money. Again, Adam searches, but there's nothing there. Tim's dad calls Adam as useless as Daniel and storms out, and he thinks that he knows who's responsible for this. Nikki, no. Daniel goes round to see Nikki at the hospital. She should be getting out later today, and she's had a great conversation with her mum about her profession. This has changed nothing, though. There's only one way that she knows to get money, so as soon as she's out, she's going back in the game. This is bullshit, too, by the way. This whole, the only way she can pay off her debts is sex work, because she has no other skills. That's, that's a, that's, that's bullshit. Saviour Daniel then presents her with Tim's dad's wad of cash. It's five grand. He calls it a new opportunity and a chance to get to Liddum St Anne's and work with her auntie. He refuses to say where it came from and he wants her to promise not to throw this chance away. She accepts it. She accepts it. Yeah. She didn't look like she was going to accept it. Then she accepted it. Well, yeah. It didn't take much. It didn't take much. At first she says she can't accept it and then she's like concerned about where he got it from. Briefly. She also looks like she's seen that envelope before. A little bit. She's seen an envelope before. That envelope before. You can recognize envelopes. Maybe. Hmm. Later, she's up dressed and ready to leave. This is goodbye, says Daniel. She wants him to promise to take his own advice to try and treat himself well. And he'll be a decent human being then, maybe. She advises that he lets his family in. And he wishes her luck. And then he leaves. So Adam and Daniel are standing on the street when Tim's dad accuses Aldi of stealing the five grand. She denies it and thinks it's probably the restaurant's money anyway. And why is he walking around with five grand in cash? Mm -hmm. He tells her it's none of uh, her business. Because it's for a sex worker. Well then, says Alia, fuck off out of my face. Alia goes off to phone Yasmin, who can tell that something's up. And Alia plays it down, but then admits that Tim's dad accused her of stealing five grand. And she she wonders what he's up to. Yasmin tells her to stay away from him. Then Adam drops in on Daniel... And it and it was also interesting because Yasmin talks a little bit about what it's like to be on the inside during a pandemic, which I thought was really nice. It's about Tim's dad's money. Why didn't Daniel mention it? Adam finds it interesting that Daniel was looking for an advance, then a loan, and then a bunch of money goes missing. Daniel pleads innocence, and Adam accepts it, but warns him that Tim's dad isn't worth getting on the wrong side of, so if anything comes to mind, he needs to know about it. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Ugh. So we haven't seen the last of Nikki, I don't think. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised with the whole, here's a wad of cash, leave, 
and I'll never see you again. That was a happy ending for me. Yeah. And not, here's a wad of cash, go, and Birdie and I will follow. Which is what I expected, Tom. Yeah. I'm glad that didn't happen. That's the one concession to the story I can make. But again, that doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Because, and also Daniel because the, the Daniel of last week would be in the taxi with her immediately and would mm-hmm. probably forget about Bertie. <laughs> Leave Bertie with, with Beth or whoever he's with from Pillary Post this week. Last week's Daniel would totally have done that. It also just... He really was put off by Shagana. Yeah, because she's not Sinead. He, he, could, he could live the fantasy that she was Sinead or Sinead Light when it was just a cardigan and small talk. Taking that cardigan and everything else off and shagging her, that's something different. Mm-hmm. Which is why he kept putting it off. That and not having enough money for that. Well, he's paying for it anyway. Well, yeah, but initially... He- Anyway, it also just seems like maybe this isn't something that Daniel would do, stealing five grand even from an awful person, especially when he sees that it's going to affect Alia. Well, that was Adam's point, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Because you're, you're creating trouble for Alia here if it was you and right. you don't own up to it. Yeah, I don't. There's there so many parts of Wednesday and Friday that was. It's such a disappointing storyline, and I don't. I don't know why I set myself up to be disappointed, but I do. Well, it's been largely boring up to this point, and then just disappointing, and unrealistic, and and not unrealistic in a fun way. Like I get that a soap opera doesn't necessarily have to be realistic. I think one of the problems with doing a soap opera with with realistic characters is that they put them in these unrealistic situations and you're like, wait a second. As opposed to something like Dallas or Falcon Crest or The Bold and the Beautiful or The Young and the Restless where you have these outlandish, very wealthy characters that you wouldn't meet ordinarily walking around on your street downtown. And then you can say, okay, I can accept that these unrealistic things are happening to them. I I think, you know, I love the fact that the characters on the street are realistic, but sometimes it makes the storylines even more difficult to, to accept and follow when they go beyond the realms of belief which is an interesting thing to to think about i may have to think about that more about british versus american soap operas our next storyline this morning mary will get her hole yes she will on monday mary is talking to a bouquet mary, get your hole when george comes into the florist mary is harsh with him but he's there as a customer and he orders a bouquet for delivery she asks about a message and he says uh, Mary, and then goes on to apologise, saying that he took his frustrations out on her, and that wasn't fair, and begs her to forgive him. 
and Mary is clearly emotional about this and waves George off with a smile. And it was just a very lovely scene. It's very sweet and very cute because he can't see her face. Mm-hmm. And then She's on Wednesday, away from him. it kind of turned into something else. It turned into Wednesday's pointless filler story. In the cabin, Ty is buying flowers for Fizz. He thinks they're bluebells and Cathy thinks they're cornflowers. No, and... he's not buying them. He's not buying the flowers. We're just showing them off. Yeah. And Brian thinks that they're dog roses. They're not dog roses because dog roses aren't blue. No. There's only one way to sort this, says Brian. Google it. Go to Mary. No. Forget we ever mentioned it. No. Let's go get Mary to decide. Who actually cares? Brian goes to see Mary, who is uh, overly chatty. He shows her a picture of the flower as he's as she's the expert, and she thinks that they're cornflowers. He thinks that she's wrong. They're dog roses. She says dog roses are white or pink. Really, why is this a story? Brian thinks Kathy has got to Mary, so Mary bars him from the florist. Then later, Mary goes to the cabin to pick up Tracy's order of magazines, but Brian has barred her in retaliation. He even has a pencil sketch of her on the wall. That was actually quite funny. Confess her mistake and he will lift the bar. Go fuck yourself, says Mary. (laughs) Brian threatens her with the police and then realises the police wouldn't be interested, so chooses just to ignore her instead. Then Mary drops in in the garage and asks Tyrone to pick up Tracy's magazines because she's barred. Ty thinks this is hilarious. And Mary rightly points out that it's Ty's fault that she's barred him and his stupid flowers. He was the catalyst to this whole cornflower thing and she thinks that he owes her. Seriously, why are we doing this? So Tyrone goes for the magazines and Brian is immediately suspicious while Cathy thinks Tyrone and Fizz are getting married. Tyrone (laughs) says the magazines are for a school project for Hope and Ruby. And this all reminds, you know, it's just a good reminder that Fizz... And Ty are not married. Right. And neither is Brian and um, Kathy. Brian calls Tyrone a quizzling and, bars, and, <laughs> and then bars him from the cabin. Right. Which also doesn't make sense because, you know, just because he's buying the magazines for Tracy, that shouldn't... It's like you're you're barring him when you're not making an awful lot of money anyway. And Mary is removed from this equation. Right. It goes... Tyrone Tracy. Cathy thinks Brian thinks that he's Robert De Niro. So Cathy takes a coffee round for Mary as a peace offering. She wants to mend fences. She knows Brian and his faults, and in this instance, she's Team Mary. Back at the cabin, Cathy tells Brian to go for a powwow with Mary at the florist to put this right. Tyrone and Mary are barred from the cabin. Brian is barred from the florist, and Tracy can't get her magazines. It's like World War Three. <laughs> get Tracy's magazines round there right now. Yes, my sweet, says Brian. No. So Brian goes round and unbars Mary, and then Mary unbars Brian. She says her nerves have been on a short fuse recently, and she asks Brian to help out with the orders in the morning so she can get to the market, and Brian agrees, and that's the end of that. I think the show is trying to give us a little bit of comedy relief with these really heavy storylines. I think that it's a very subtle way to kind of talk about the frustrations of the pandemic because Brian and Kathy are kind of smushed together a little bit more. So their fuses are short and then Brian lashes out at other people because of it. To be fair though, Brian would be this pedantic about the stupid flowers. Google it. Even, even if it wasn't, a pandemic it. because this is what brian does brian thinks brian is a know-it-all so oh, when shit. people say no you're wrong 
he's going to be about it. Oh. And that's exactly what he is. But I think it's also a way, just like with the Fizz and Tyrone stuff that happens later in the week, you know, it's it's a little bit of, of comedy relief in a really heavy time. And they've got these really heavy storylines that they were already planning on doing before the pandemic. And now people are having a really hard time in their daily lives because of the pandemic. And they do, they want to watch something on TV that's not going to make them feel even worse about themselves. So the show has to land of like stick these little comic relief things in here. It's my belief is why they did this. Our next storyline this morning is On Your Todd. On Monday, Billy and his man bag run into Mary at the florist. Billy and his man bag explain that Ryan has given him details for a private investigator to track down Todd. It's something that he should have done years ago. Because Ryan is an expert on yep. <laughs> Does Ryan have any connection with Lenny? Yes. Okay. On Wednesday... Because Gary sent Lenny to beat Ryan up, remember? Or to try to con no, Ryan into... Ryan had, had to go and give something to Lenny. Right. An envelope and make sure it was hadn't been opened. Right, yeah. So the PI is Lenny. He visits Paul and Billy. He's tracked down a friend of Todd's, Safi. He's had a hard time getting upstairs, apparently. They've been running uh, scams and they picked on a local gangster and then Todd didn't come home. Tracking update. Billy needs to get in touch with Eileen, he says. So later, Billy has come off the phone with one of his parishioners who wants to talk about her husband's funeral service, but Billy reckons she just wanted to talk, then launches into a bit of a metaphor about talking about grief and an attempt to get Billy to admit to feelings that he claims not to have. Paul. What did I say? Billy. Billy. Paul tells him he should be a vicar and then says that he's made a call to the Weatherfield Gazette about Todd going missing. Billy isn't sure about how much use this will be. Fuck you, Billy, Paul says. The paper is interested in having a chat with Billy. Yes. But maybe you should call Eileen first. <laughs> so on Friday, the article is in the paper and they've done a decent job making Todd not sound like the scumbag that he was. But Billy and his man bag now worries about telling Sean about it. Apparently he wasn't happy when Billy contacted the PI. Right. And also, these are things you should have thought about before giving the interview in the first place. Billy and his man And also, do newspapers work this fast? It's already in the paper? It's a slow news day. <laughs> Billy and his man bag get home and Sean's already there, waiting. He's already seen the article and he's predictably flouncy about Billy cutting him out of this finding Todd business. Not only that, Sean is FaceTiming Eileen, who tells Billy he's got some fucking explaining to do. Yeah. And we see Eileen for the first Yay. time in ages. Yay! Eileen smashed through the laptop. <laughs> yeah, she did. <laughs> Billy tries to explain that... <laughs> we need an Eileen smash t-shirt. We do. Billy tries to explain they wanted to find him uh, so they had good news before they contacted her. She says that she can't come home because one of Jason's mates has the COVID, so she needs to stay in Thailand for now. But she wants to be kept up to date, damn it. But no one tells her about the private investigator or the gangsters. No. Just the article. In the, but doesn't the article mention these things? I don't know. Did you like, read the article? No. Is the article just about him going missing? And that's it? It really must be a slow Tuesday. Man goes missing some time ago. Right. Stuff mm. found by canal, but not the dead body. They, they haven't done an article on the dead body. Well, you don't know that. Man yells at Sky. <laughs> All right, Grandpa Simpson. 
Uh, it, it, it was nice to see. Man yells at clouds. Also, it was man yells at sky. Pretty sure it's clouds. Anyway. Which is funnier. No. No, it's not. I think sky's funnier. Mm. Nice to see Island again. A- albeit, absolutely. Albeit through FaceTime. Or whatever. Does Sean live with Billy and... No, Sean lives with Mary. The fuck was he doing in Billy's flat? Paul let him in. Remember, Paul is on the phone with Billy trying to explain that that Sean is in the flat and he thinks that he's talking about a cat. Oh, yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Right, that was hilarious. Because he couldn't understand him because I guess he was wearing a mask and he was at work. Right. Yeah. Oh, well. I'm kind of losing interest in this a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, we shall move on. Oh, this wasn't much better. This is uh, Michael and Grace and that. On Wednesday, Liam Neeson, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory. He has a meeting with Sarah, but her car's broken down on the ring road, so Michael and Toya argue over who should, who should take care of him while he waits. The tag team... They tag team and make a bit of a mess of it, contradicting each other and stuff. Then Grace, who also doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory to see Michael. An hour later, and Sarah still hasn't shown up, and Liam Neeson is getting pissed while Toya and Michael demonstrate blinds and talk about toilet seats. Liam Neeson's had enough, and he fucks off. Later, Carla has feet, and she walks into the factory, calling Michael an asshole for treating Liam Neeson like that. Toya and her effort, question, Toya and her effort questionable as it was, is ignored throughout. Carla says it's just lucky that she managed to uh, reschedule. Grace, who is still in the factory, pipes up that Michael saved the situation by keeping Liam Neeson there in the hope that someone would show up. And Carla gives Michael kudos while Toya goes back to being the invisible woman. Michael and Grace agree to meet later. Yes, and again, comic relief. Or attempted comic relief with this whole Toya-Michael thing, which doesn't make any sense and makes them both seem really incompetent in their jobs. Right. When we both know that they're both competent people. Well, they're supposed to be. Right. Because Michael says later about how much money he's making doing this job. They're salespeople, right? They're working in sales. So they should be... Why can't they just say that Sarah's car broke down? I don't know. Right, yeah. Let me go get car Because it's funnier this way, apparently. But the, the cost of that is... Making these two competent people look really incompetent. Yeah, so it's... When we know Toya is a competent person. Uh, and I'm... we know Michael can can talk Inuits into buying ice cream, so... On Friday, Michael has got presents for Grace and Tiana. It's a play toy box and a photo frame. Then Tiana calls for Daddy... Play toolbox. You said a play toy box, oh. which is... T- then Tiana who's upstairs calls for daddy and Michael is pissing himself over the moon about this a recording of Tiana says daddy from Mm -hmm. the other room I think it was just Ben Price putting on a (laughs) (laughs) putting on a Tiana voice and Grace is notably less impressed about this Ben Price man of many voices from Werner Herzog to (laughs) wee child to wee child Later, Grace suddenly wants to leave and Michael knows why. He promises he's not going to let Tiana or Grace down. He loves them too much. He's going nowhere, he says rather pointedly. And this doesn't seem to do much to uh, cheer Grace up. 
this 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 whole this whole thing is becoming exhausting the whole the whole michael finds out that he has a child the child and mother run away child and mother found again they get close mother runs away again mother and child come back they're getting along they seem to be maybe forming a new relationship Something happens. Well, something is going to happen. And you know they're going to just run away again. And it's like, this is... How many of these storylines are just going to loop and loop in and out of themselves? It's exhausting. Over and over again. It's pointless. There's no growth in this story. It's exhausting while also not being in it very often. Because you go weeks without hearing anything about this and we come back to it. Right, yeah. He's, he's now at the stage where he's telling Grace that he loves her. Right. When did that happen? Was that after Aggie had a word? Yeah. Because that didn't seem to do much good either. Grace still didn't seem happy about it. Grace right. perpetually doesn't look happy about this they, whole situation. It, it's like they don't know what to do with Grace. It's, it's, like, it's like she's just this... Avatar of a of a woman, kind of just a placeholder. You know, the story is Mike. The story is Michael becoming a father, and because you kind of need a mother to make Michael a father, she's there. But they don't really know what to do with her because there's we we she's been in this show for months now. And we don't really know very much about her. No, she's, at all. she's motiveless. We don't know where they live. We don't know what her job is. We don't know what her feelings are. We just see these kind of weird facial expressions. And sometimes she spouts odd cliches about being a single mother. Like the whole stop spending money on us mm-hmm. thing. When before it was well, we can't be together because you don't have any money. You know? Yeah. It's just figure out what you're doing with the storyline and get on with it and stop looping and these wooden cardboard character. Our our penultimate storyline today is Friday's pointless filler story. (laughs) On Friday... Which was funny. Fizz has eaten the last of Evelyn's butterfly buns, which pisses off Tyrone to the extent that the two of them decide to have a bake-off to see which one of them can make the better buns. They'll sell them and donate the profit to Oliver's £500,000 fund. Sure. Fizz is about to sell some of her buns to Abby until Mary intervenes. She's already had one and it was saltier than a sailor's sweat. She's had it in the shop earlier and it sounds very much like Mary was sexually assaulted by someone attempting the Heimlich manoeuvre. Yes. Somebody gave her the Heimlich manoeuvre by putting his hands on her breasts. Mm -hmm. And and this is played for comedy. Yes. Well, you're the one that said it was funny. Well, this part's not. Mary getting sexually assaulted is not funny. Has sabotaged her buns. Fizz accuses Ty, who pleads ignorance. She's bought some super ingredients to make a new batch, and Tyrone has made a wonderful Vicky sponge. So Ty takes it round to sell to Jenny at the Rovers, but Fizz has fucked the cake and sticks her head in the pub <laughs> to laugh at him. This is the second thing she today. hasn't literally fucked the cake. It looks like she has. This isn't this isn't the American Pie movies. This is the second time today that Mary has been offered a subpar baked good. <laughs> 
Later, Fizz admits to putting ice cubes in the Vicky sponge. They apologise to each other. They haven't raised much for Oliver, so they agree to do it again tomorrow. This better not crop up again on Monday. I, I doubt it will. I do like the the Jenny and, and Mary catching up and, and laughing and telling stories in the in the pub. That was nice. Yeah, there was a nice little bit where uh, Mary's acting all indignant about how she's not getting any decent baked goods and stuff. And then <laughs> right at the very end of the scene, just as she's taking a sip of her water or a wine or whatever it is, water. she has a little giggle. Yeah. That was quite nice. Yeah. So, on to our final storyline, which is all about Abby. On Monday, Kev is shouting on Invisible Jack to get ready for some play date thing at Fizzy's, but he's dragging his foot about it and Kev reacts snackily to Abby when she suggests calm. He apologises, claiming to have a busy day. So Abby It's offers... not his fault, Kev. He's imaginary right now. So Abby offers to take care of Jack. Privately, Debbie tells Kev that after Abby opened up to him the other day, he might want to be a bit more supportive. Later, Abby's at Dev's getting cheesy poofs for Jack. She reveals that apparently Jack is getting bullied from some of his mates, who think that the only reason he's good at sports is because of his blade. Abby reveals that she uh, suggested that he kicks the fuck out of anyone who gives him a hard time. Then Peter But comes not with in. the blade. Right. Then Peter comes in. Balance on the blade and kick them with your real foot. And Dev thinks this is a fantastic idea. Good and for hilarious. you, Abby. Then Peter comes in. Abby tries to... Abby explains to him that she told Kev the truth and Peter seems a little put out by this or finds it hard to believe that Kev could be understanding. At the garage, Abby fixes a continuous car horn by hitting the steering wheel with a hammer. Then an angry fist comes along looking for Kev. She's just had to pull Jack off of Hope. He attacked her. Abby thinks Hope must have said something that provoked Jack and everyone, Kev included, is horrified when Abby reveals that she told Jack to stand up for himself against bullies. Fizz and Tyrone go to see Jack, and Ab- Abby explains this is why Jack was dragging his foot earlier. He didn't want to go to Fizzy's. Kev tells Abby to stay out of Jack's way, and Abby's initially confused but then understands what this is about. She thought he could handle the truth about how she was feeling. So did he, and he ge- he guesses that they were both wrong. Yeah, and also, Kev, <sighs> fragile male ego, is very upset. That his son told Abby instead of himself about this. You can you can tell that that's part of it. Huh, Just like right. he was upset that Abby told Peter about her problems and not him. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So Abby makes straight for the rovers and a bottle of the good stuff. Generic whiskey, please. Jenny is worried that Abby isn't looking uh, all that great, but Abby's in no mood to chat about it. So Peter tracks Abby down to the back of the rovers and she explains that he was right. Kev doesn't really understand. She should never have told him the truth. Kev gets home and somehow Debbie has caught wind of what's happened and gives him a bollocking. He doesn't know if he can trust Abby, but admits that he still loves her. Go make it right, Debbie says, before Abby does something stupid. Peter's giving Abby a pep talk and making her feel better. Meanwhile, Abby is doing something stupid. Yeah, Abby knows Kev will never understand her the way that Peter does. She thinks it's all over, and Peter says if that's true, she'll get through it, and he's always there for her. She talks about booking herself into a hotel for the night and asks Peter if he wants to join her. There's plenty they can do in her birthday suits. And then she's misread the situation, regrets it immediately, and rushes off when Peter knocks her back. Abby goes back home expecting the talk, and she gets the talk, not the one that she's expecting though. He wants to put everything behind them. All Kev's interested in is their future. He says that he does trust her and he loves her, and Abby says that she loves him too. Later, Tyrone, who has joined them for a takeout, wonders why the H in yoghurt has disappeared. Abby gets a text from Peter asking to meet in the ginnel, so Abby heads out with the empties on, and as, as a suspicious Debbie watches on. 
so Peter wants to talk about earlier, while Abby just wants to forget about it all. She loves Kev, and she wants to make it work. Peter says he probably shouldn't help her anymore, and she's, like, fine, whatever, and he promises not to tell Carla. He leaves just as Debbie turns up to see what's uh, taken Abby so long, and she says that she thought that she saw a rat, and then Debbie sees Peter exiting the gunnel. That's a mighty big rat. Start talking, says Debbie. And that becomes clean. She made a pass at Peter when she thought her and Kev were finished, but nothing happened and it means nothing. Debbie wants Kev to know, but Abby says it would create a whole lot of shite that doesn't need creating. Right, because we just cleaned up the last load of shite that didn't need creating. Debbie seems to chew on this for a bit. Peter goes home and a seated Carla asks where he's been and he says he was out for a vape. In comes Jenny to see how Peter got on with Abby earlier. This piques Carla's interest. She thought uh, they'd agreed to let Kev handle this from now on. And Peter confirms that he won't be able to sponsor Abby any longer as he's not strong enough. And he, sh- he, he wasn't officially her sponsor either. No. Carla seems pleased by this. Well, just make sure she stays the fuck away. Right, because apparently this is all Abby's fault. Later, Debbie says that she's decided not to tell Kev. She appreciates Abby's honesty, but she'll be keeping an eye on her from now on. Not that she wasn't keeping an eye on her anyway. Mm-hmm. I quite liked Debbie the first time that she came back. I still like her. She's a pain in the tits now. I still, yeah, but she's a pain in the tits for her brother. It's not like, and and she seems to genuinely care about Abby as well. She keeps giving Abby second chances as well in all of this. And she's she's being honest with Kevin and saying, yo, chill out. You know, <laughs> this is. Words of wisdom. <laughs> yo, chill out. <laughs> You you told her, you know, you obviously love her. She obviously loves you for some reason. Let's just, you know, she, it took an awful lot of bravery to do what she did. Cut it out. Stop overthinking this. On Wednesday, Peter walks by the garage and Abby apologizes again. They agreed to keep it all to themselves. It never happened. For somebody who knocked Abby back. Peter keeps creeping on her mm-hmm. and it, it's just it angers me so much because everybody wants to blame Abby for all of this when Peter can't leave well enough alone. No. Later, Debbie runs into Peter and Roy's roles. She talks about how messed up Abby is and how lucky she is to have Peter to talk to. Peter tells her that she's got the wrong end of the stick they're just mates. He hasn't told Carla because there's nothing to tell. Debbie tells him to stay away from Abby or she'll broadcast it to the whole street. So immediately, Peter goes to the garage and demands to know why Abby told Debbie about the coming Stay on Stay away thing. from her or the whole street will f- will find out about this. So what does he do? He goes right back to Abby. Abby doesn't think Debbie will say anything. Debbie's sound, she says. Peter isn't so sure and thinks that uh, he should be straight with Carla. Abby thinks that will spell the end of her and Kev and begs him not to tell. Peter can't risk it and Abby wonders why she always let drugs fuck her up. Peter comes round and agrees not to say anything after all. On Friday, Abby's You took one quote-unquote swig of morphine two weeks ago. You haven't had any drugs since. On Friday, Abby's up and about and is planning on spending some quality time with Seb today, whatever that looks like. Kev has thought of a way to make it up to Abby by taking her to Australia so she can say goodbye to the twins. During a pandemic... Debbie thinks it's a bad idea. No, he was talking about doing it next year, I think. Yeah, I know, but still. <laughs> Debbie thinks it's a bad idea and suggests somewhere closer to home. Because he hasn't even talked to the social workers yet. No. He's planning on taking her to Australia. Well, we still got a holiday. 
Mm. Other overs, Carl and Jenny are having a laugh about a non-specific time when someone got their elbow stuck in something. Then Jenny Probably a- Johnny. Then Jenny asks after Peter and Carla doesn't really know how he is. They don't really speak much these days and when they do, he's shifty or shuts them down. And meanwhile, Abby is off to see Seb, but he's working all day when she gets a notification of a hospital appointment. And and at a job that she didn't know he had. Right. Tim offers to get her a cab while Abby tries to remember if she used deodorant today. That was quite funny. Worried that the hospital will think that she's a right skank. And so she's wiping sleep out of her eyes in a window while Mary looks on. And rather too quickly, the cab shows up and it's Peter. Because of course it's Peter. Of course it is. He tells her to get in the back. We then have a scene in Des with Mary, Seb and Debbie. And you can see what's going to happen about a minute before it does. Uh-huh. That Debbie, who doesn't know Seb, asks about spending time with Abby. But he tells her that he's working all day. Debbie thinks that she must have got her wires crossed. And then Mary pipes up that she saw Abby going into town in Peter's cab. And she was doing herself up in the in the window. Well, wearing a grubby sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. No makeup. Debbie storms out, pissed off. And she's home trying to get in touch with Abby when Kev comes in and has decided to go for St. Ives instead of Australia. It's either St. Ives or Australia. Mm-hmm. That's the limit. That's it. But Debbie has something to tell him and she tells Kev that Abby is cheating on him. So Peter is talking with his sponsor, Howard. Mm-hmm. He says he's under tremendous... He says he's under tremendous... And at first tremendous it seemed like pressure. they were talking through a window. Right. It was kind of a weirdly film scene. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to see who he was talking to. Yeah. He says he's under tremendous pressure to get wired into the booze again. The sponsor thinks that he did the right thing calling him instead. Peter says that he's going to four meetings a week now and Howard advises sharing his feelings with Carla, but Peter thinks that she'll be all like, I told you so. This laundry is best unaired. So the whole reason why Peter isn't telling Carla is because Carla would say I told you so? So Debbie has spilled everything to Kev about Abby coming on to Peter. She tells him the two of them are together right now, and he thinks that he should have seen it coming. Then Debbie is suddenly unsure that she's right, but Kev doesn't think Peter has any kind of restraint when it comes to the women. Yeah, that pe- <laughs> the women can't control themselves around Peter Barlow for some reason. He was looking mighty fine this week, I have to say. An angry Kev <laughs> goes round to the Rovers to speak to Peter. Carla's under the impression that he's on his taxi shift, but Tim told Kev that he signed out ages ago. Kev tells Carla that Peter and Abby are getting their holds off of each other behind their backs. Then Abby's back and Peter gets back at the same time explaining the... Oh, the because of course they do. The, the temptation that he had and meeting his sponsor, Howard. Abby feels bad that this is her fault and then the two of them head to the pub where Kev and Carla are waiting, none too pleased. Abby explains that they've got all this wrong. She was at the hospital and Peter was, uh, was a cab driver and it'll be easy to verify this. But Abby does admit to making a pass at Peter... Uh, but nothing happened. Mm-hmm. But this is enough to send Carla running through the back. And through the back, Carla tells Peter this is deja vu. He says he didn't do anything. Carla calls herself an idiot. Nothing might have happened, but he didn't tell her. And where was he today if he wasn't with Abby? And he admits to seeing Howard. But Carla, uh, but to Carla, it sounds like a lie. She's heard all of this before as well. And back at the house, Debbie's on that fucking laptop again. She's always on that laptop. Well, she's doing her business. She's up to something. Yeah, she's working from home. I think she's up to something. She's working from home. Abby explains that she was at the hospital and she's not in charge of streetcar's booking process, which is a fair point. Yeah. Debbie says, you can't blame me for jumping to conclusions. Well, actually, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, we can. <laughs> Kev sends Debbie out and then tells Abby that he believes her about today, but that doesn't change that she tried to sleep with Peter. She apologises. We were on a break. Kev wants to know what she sees in the Alki cab driver and she calls it complicated. <laughs> Back at the pub, Carla wonders why he chose to open up to Abby instead of her. So he goes from 
no woman can resist Peter Barlow to what do you see in that Elkie cab driver? Mm-hmm. Back at the pub, Carla wonders why he chose to open up to Abby instead of her. She has her own drink demons too, and she wonders if she's that unapproachable. She's at a loss why he trusts a smackhead more than her uh. and doesn't think there's much hope for them. Back at Kev's, she explains that she felt worthless. She thought Kev hated her. She doesn't love Peter. She loves Kev, but he doesn't think he can trust her now. She doesn't have an answer or a great track record. He wonders if this is his future. Apologies and forgiveness in an endless cycle. Well, if the writers have anything to do with it. <laughs> she promises to do everything to win him back and win back his trust and his love. He says nothing, and so she goes to pack, but then he tells her to wait. He thinks they can sort this out. Carla thinks Peter kept a secret because he didn't want to admit that she was right, that helping Abby was a bad idea. Ding, she, ding, 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 ding. She calls him a walking cliche. Save ding, one, ding, 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 ding. Save one damsel in distress and then lose interest and move on to the next one. Ding, 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 ding. He's only with her because the factory uh, collapsed and her mm, head ding, fell fucking, off. Ding, 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 <laughs> Peter doesn't think this is fair, but she sticks to her guns. He loves being the hero, but can't do the day-to-day. And furious, Peter storms off. Why is it that Adam is the only Barlow boy who doesn't have a Christ complex? Because this is exactly like Daniel and Nikki. Mm-hmm. This whole savior complex where I must save the damsel in distress. Whether she won't save him or not. Right, yeah. And Carla is absolutely right that this is what Peter does. Mm-hmm. You know, and she goes as far back as Toya. You know, childless mm-hmm. Toya. Yep. Psycho me. Smackhead Abby. This whole smackhead thing is just, it's the only thing that I was mad at Carla for. Carla catches up with Peter in the back room and apologises, but their past is hard Why? to get over. Peter doesn't like her thinking that he enjoys seeing her vulnerable. vulnerable. But you do. He then calls her unsupportive of him until Carla points out that he didn't tell her anything. Right. So she can't be supportive right. if she doesn't know. He doesn't understand why she can't forgive him for something that didn't happen when he didn't complain once when she slept with Jordan. <sighs> Oops. He tries to backtrack. He realises what he said, but it's too late. She says that she was ill and she didn't know what she was doing, plus she was raped. And she yeah. thought he understood. Clearly not. Did he think he had a right to complain? That's what it sounds like. And he tries to apologise again, but she tells him to leave, which he does. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Oofed. So. What did our Canadian librarian friend think about that? Well, we know that, that Christy has been upset about this whole Carla rape thing and the fact that they kind of right. kind of made it into a joke and kind of didn't really... Which, again, we've pointed out that the show is, is guilty of this sort of thing left, right, and center. Mary's, you know, somebody giving Mary the Heimlich on her boobs, which is like... I don't know. It seems like a stand-up routine from Rodney Dangerfield in the 80s. Boobs are funny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ha ha. Man put his hands on your boobs. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm. No, it's assault. You know, the whole Nikki thing and treating sex workers like a a dirty cliche. So Christy, you know, says... That this whole Abby Peter Carla thing is contrived, not original, tiring, and brings back the whole addict supporting addict that apparently this producer loves to uh, explore. 
And she says that he was the story editor during the time Carla and Peter initially were drawn together back in 2010 when Carla was abusing alcohol, walked into an AA meeting where Peter was, and he started trying to help her. Carla fell for him, but he resisted. They didn't have an affair until a year later, months after Carla had been raped by Frank Foster. Because let's remember, Carla's been raped before. Mm -hmm. And Peter struggled with his alcoholism. And also, that that whole struggle that Carla had was before the whole kidney thing. You know, because she says she goes to meetings because she can't drink while on her medication for her for her kidney. Yep. You know, not that she already had problems with alcohol before that, Mm -hmm. which they seem to forget, just like they seem to forget that Carla should have been quarantined, just like Tracy was, because she has somebody else's organ. But I digress. To me, this is all just a little bit of history repeating, and it's disappointing. Carla and Peter work well together when they're happy, but like many characters on Corey at the moment, you never see them just happy on screen living their day-to-day lives, having conversations with friends outside of their relationships to direct family. The only time you see a character happy is right before an issue or drama hits. And she's right. <laughs> That's pretty much true. So Carla and Peter are always known as the angst couple. And the actors play it so well, it's captivating, but it's a shame they never explore them just being a couple before they throw them into yet another drama. But what's really disappointing is that the only challenge they can muster for this couple is one where yet another woman comes between them. And even not really, where Carla thinks another woman has come between them. Mm. And she hasn't really. Because I think she believes that nothing happened. But then she, like, blames Abby for the whole thing when it... Peter kept creeping on Abby all week long. Like, when he's sitting in his cab outside the repair shop and waits for Kev to leave... And then gets out of his cab and goes and talks to Abby. It's like that's that's not the behavior of someone who's completely innocent in all of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, not them struggling to find and own a place themselves. Not trying to get Peter to open a business of his own. How about tackling a pregnancy for a woman in her 40s? Which we know is not going to happen because Carla said she doesn't want a baby. Um without it resorting in a miscarriage, because it can and does happen. Imagine actually showing them struggling in their day-to-day relationship with her being pregnant, which will never happen, and having to wean off the meds she's on due to it, which we already had the whole Sinead thing. So I disagree with her when it comes to, let's let's throw a car. I, I really hate the show just like making everybody pregnant. Yeah, I, I, but I think the, the point is... Uh, is valid that there are other storylines that, story that they can explore that create drama that don't involve Alcoholism. one of them being or, or one of them being potentially unfaithful to the other or right. something in between them. There's there's things that they can get through together. It's just disheartening watching a show that didn't properly address the sexual coercion issue when they had the chance. Right. And again, we this is a huge disappointment in the show tackling things when they had the chance that seems to run throughout this week. There's nothing worse than when the person you love vocalizes the very thing you fear, that they see you differently after a trauma. Anyway, that's my rambling this morning. Allison King and Chris Gascoigne are always stellar on screen, regardless of the storyline. And this is true. Yeah, the, the sexual I, coercion thing, I think, was something that Christy had a problem with and there's a problem with from the very beginning. One of the articles that was in the 
uh, Cory blog that was kind of written that, like uh, like she knew what she was doing. It was written very poorly. It and, was, and uh, there was no real. They kind of just ignored the problem. And, and then they edited it, but didn't apologize or right. you know point out the fact that they edited it. And Christy wrote a rather eloquent essay about the whole thing. Yeah, posted on her blog. So yeah, this is something that she's been quite passionate about since it happened, and good for her. Um, and and you know what? If the show hadn't, in the past few years, presented itself as a show that's going to ha- that's going to tackle important ripped from the headlines, storylines, you know, a very important storyline, you know, and and made, right. And made such a big deal about working with people in, in charities and organizations that help people in specific thing. If they hadn't painted themselves in this manner, I don't think we would be as harsh uh, about about these criticisms as we are however the show has painted itself as as this um as this type type of show and i think they've done it because shows like eastenders have been doing this sort of thing from the very beginning um and as uh as mercy tart pointed out this week with eastenders abuse story where the husband actually does kill the wife and then covers it up and everything that that handles abuse, you know, in a relationship much better than the melodrama that the whole Yasmin and Tim's dad thing is kind of devolved into where they did a really good job building it up. And now it just seems to be strung along and strung along and strung along. And this was our complaint before the pandemic made it, String along, string along, string along even more. Yeah, we had our, our doubts about Yasmin stabbing him and him not dying. Right. That felt initially in the moment very satisfying, but then I think we kind of worried about or how it her was stabbing go after him that. and then immediately being thrown in prison and the police not finding any of the evidence that was staring them right in the face. Right. We see them scouring that apartment, looking for clues. And at one of them sees this video camera <laughs> sitting right on a CD tower sort but, of thing. But to the Carl and Peter thing, though, I think a lot of the commentary that I'm seeing is a disappointment in that. I think this is kind of Chris's point as well, that he was so supportive of her during the Jordan thing mm-hmm. that he was... Scott gave him a hard time for not mm-hmm. going down and kicking the fuck out of them. Right. But he was supportive of her and did what she asked of him, which right. was just let it go, don't get involved in this, I don't want to see you get into trouble for this. And right. He, and he respected that and he, yes. did, he followed her wishes. Mm-hmm. And they were really, really close. Right. And that was June. Yeah. So between then and now, we're suddenly hearing for the first time this week that there's distance between them that they're not talking to each other, that the only time that they talk is uh, is when Peter's acting shifty about something. Right. That kind of seems that it's come completely out of the blue. Well... It hasn't really been uh, foreshadowed. I don't think it's completely out of the blue. I think Carla is speaking to the fact that, I mean, she hasn't seen Peter an awful lot. And we know that she hasn't seen Peter an awful lot because he's been skulking around 
Abby all of this time, following her in cars and meeting her in gullies. But, but and, it has to go and going, home at some point. Yeah, one would think. And going to more meetings, which is, I'm glad he's going to more meetings. And the one scene this week that I really liked and I really appreciated and felt really true to life is his meeting with his sponsor. You know, I think they got that right. But that, again, kind of fell out of the blue because all of a sudden now he's struggling with his alcoholism. I believe- And all of a sudden uh, living in the pub is causing a problem when he owned that pub. Right. Not so long ago. That part kind of is like, that, that doesn't make sense. The whole living in the pub is, is causing you problems. But I can see him struggle. I, I can see him it didn't it didn't surprise me him saying that he's struggling because of the whole abby thing because that and as his sponsor rightly points out that's really toxic you shouldn't be trying this is why naa sponsors are not allowed to have romantic relationships with their sponsorees and why in recovery, you're not supposed to start a relationship or end a relationship the first year after getting sober because your brain is not in a place where you should be making life-changing decisions. So he's, I can, I can believe that the whole Abby thing and focusing on Abby's recovery as opposed to his own recovery has made him want to slip. The whole pub thing seems kind of tacked on. Carla is absolutely right that Peter does this. And I was kind of mad that they made her apologize for saying something that's absolutely true and something that I said during her psychotic break is that Peter only loves her during this because she needs help. That just a few months before this break, during the whole New Year's Eve scene with them in that billiards hall, he was the one, you know, they were both, they both agreed that they're toxic for one another and that they shouldn't be in a romantic relationship. But the second she has a psychotic break and needs him, all of a sudden he wants to be in a romantic relationship with her. Which she pointed out. Carla, yeah, he, he and was, then apologized. I think she more apologized for the way that she said it mm. rather than what she said. But the... But I thought that was um, the, the way that she brought that into the conversation, that he was on his way out. Uh-huh. Ken, remember, was driving him to his boat. Right. And then found out about all this, and then they and, turned around and, and, and came back. Absolutely, yeah. So she, I think she's right to have her suspicions about the whole Abby thing because she knows what Peter is like. I don't like her blaming Abby for this. When it's not Abby's fault at all. Um, and the whole calling Abby a smackhead when Abby is clearly more than just a drug addict, even though the show seems to want to just make her a drug addict, a recovering drug addict, and all of her storylines fall back on that whole cliche. It's just, it's as tiring, as infuriating as the whole cliches about Nikki being a sex worker. Moment of the week. It was a rough week. I like George's apology to Mary. Yes. I kind of, I kind oh, of, God. That was like the one bright shining light in my week. I, 
I very nearly cried at that as well this week. It was so sweet. <laughs> yes, yes, George and Mary. That's a moment of the week. Moment of the week. Now, for the boring moment of the week, I thought it was Tim showing Abby a flyer that he got to the door that we'd never find out anything about. But you kind of know what it's Leanne about. telling Comatose Oliver about laundry. Yeah. Yeah, that's our <laughs> boring moment of the week. Boring moment. No, that's, just, that's your job. <laughs> boring moment of the week. Oh, yeah, not a lot of fun I know. this week. Shall we start again? <laughs> next week. <laughs> try and get some, some more. We'll try again next week. Get some more dick jokes in here. <laughs> not, not one hint of sexual innuendo this week. No, I don't We're think there was, a, there was no, that's what. She, no, I did say that's what she said. Uh, or, or, or not like that. that. I, I did, did that you? once. I've kind of slipped out the habit of. It was right tough this well. week. It was tough this week to get. We didn't even do any tangents. No, and Timbot 4000 is in for repairs this week as well. That's why yeah, we haven't heard from him. No, Timbot. That's not why, that's why we haven't heard from him. Even though the majority of the week did not compute. <laughs> oh. So much that did not compute. No. Your t shirt's on its way, by the way. Oh, yay. Yay. Anyway, so if you. Oh, I haven't written an outro again. <laughs> if you've. <laughs> have been deeply disappointed by this week's <laughs> episodes of Coronation Street, let us know. Yeah, drop us a line with the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is also the address that you can use on Skype to leave us a voicemail or PayPal to drop us a couple of uh, nuggets into our virtual tip jar. We're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please, if you have the time and inclination, leave a rating and a review on the iTunes. And you can find uh, a link to our merch store on uh, in our Twitter bio. Is that, a, is that everything? I think I've said everything. That is everything. Thanks for we get to the end of another episode, and we will be back next week with more on Talk of the, the street. street. Bye. Cheerio.